Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon, with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, a conversation with comics powerhouse Dame Darcy. Stay tuned. Dame Darcy identifies as a mermaid, a witch, and a pirate. She's been drawing comics for over 25 years and has published around 100 books internationally. In her comic Meat Cake, Dame Darcy draws wolves wearing suits, speaking crustaceans, and a woman named Strega Pez whose words are written on a large block of Pez that comes out of her slit neck. I've been reading Meat Cake since the 90s, and I find it enchanting. There's nothing else in the world like it. In this interview, we talk about the business of making art, being a mermaid, the goddess returning, appearing on reality dating shows, and the time Dame Darcy was thwarted in auctioning off a lock of Kurt Cobain's actual hair. You can find Dame Darcy's upcoming Meat Cake Bible with Fanagraphics this summer, or catch her on tour all year with Lisa Crystal Carver from Roller Derby and the band Suck Dog. Now, please enjoy my interview with the incomparable Dame Darcy. Are you working at a haunted house or do you have a haunted house? I'm working at a haunted house and it's also my studio. That's awesome. I yeah. Should, I should describe, I'm on the phone with Dame Darcy. I'm recording right now. You have a lovely, beautiful veil. There's like a hat, it's like a beautiful crown. With a veil a coming down from veil. it? Yeah. And then you put it over your face, and you look like an ethereal kind of ghost. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wear this when I'm on tour with Lisa Carver, too. Oh, yeah. Well, wait, you know, I can't remember if I found out about Meat Cake first or Roller Derby first. Or maybe, oh, really? You're one of those people. I'm a person who heard about Ben is Dead... And oh my we, god, I love that. And they're what they put out as But you're so young. Why do you know about these things? I don't know. I'm 30, 35, so I was a teenager. And oh, you were a little teen then. I was a teen then. And I, you know, I met Darby from Ben is Dead. She came to Kansas for a zine conference. She's amazing. And she gave me the zine Socially Fucking Retarded that um, had. That looks great. You, I love that zine. And all those people going on tour together. And I was like, what? Zinesters can go on tour? That's incredible. Uh-huh. And then I read Roller Derby and I loved Meat Cake. I loved all those things at the same time. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, you know what I love? I love that uh, teenagers of multiple generations grow up and turn into awesome adult ladies like you that propagate things and make them even better for all of us. Yes. I mean, it makes me feel like it's worthwhile sometimes. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. You know? No, it's tough. It's a, it's a battle every day. It's an art battle. Art is war. Really? Oh, yeah. Do you... So, I met you in person. You came to the Center for Cartoon Studies and talked to Steve's class, and then we ate uh, Korean food. Yeah, that was fun. That was I totally fun. Steve. And you were talking about how you do like a million different things, but you were talking about how everything you do is to sell more comics or to promote your comics. Yeah. Is that true? Yes. Will you tell me some of the things you do? Well, um, right now we're booking an international tour, um, and the dates are going to be posted all over. I have to like keep this door open, and by the way, if they escape... I have to stop the interview and um, who and take, and take photos of them. Okay, who are they? They're the uh, the people who are now locked in the room that I've terrorized and then locked into the room. Okay, so they're they've been properly terror terrorized and have been in the room now for about fifteen minutes. How long do they stay in the room? They might stay for an hour. Oh, great. hopefully, hopefully they aren't smart enough to get out. So. Is it like a room where they have to try and riddle their way out of it? Yeah, it's like a live-action clue game, and then meanwhile I terrorize them. Wait, I'll show you. Okay. Let me just show you how I terrorize them. It's really funny. Okay. 
And you're in Georgia right now. Yeah, this is our hallway. Uh -huh. Haunted hallway. Yeah. <laughs> she just beat on the door that these people are on the other side of and started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrorizing. Um, yeah. Also, I think these people are. I think these people are Mormon. Oh. So, um, when I, my boyfriend is uh, Jalal Pleasant, and he's a artist too, and he does experimental um, uh, videos, and, uh, and also is this. You know, he's a graphic designer and blah blah all the stuff, right? Yeah. And he's, um, he's mixed race, so he looks black. And he dropped me off on his Vespa scooter from the 70s that's very loud because he fixes it. And then he took off, and I, like, kissed him goodbye and stuff, then he took off, right? So these people were waiting on the porch when that happened because I didn't know we were gonna be, they were going to be that early. Yeah. And then they mentioned something about it. They were like, that was a very interesting chauffeur you had. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, driving Miss Crazy. <laughs> Did you have that in your pocket ready to say? No, but, you know, <laughs> oh it, is like <laughs> it is like that. But anyways, okay, so we're going on tour right now. I'm going on tour with Lisa Carver from Roller Derby. Yeah. And we're going to act out the um stories that are in her new uh book mm -hmm. that i illustrated cool. and we're also going to be promoting meat cake bible mm -hmm. which has 400 pages and is is my like big compendium of my whole life um so uh there's all that mm -hmm. and and we're gonna be playing we're doing um Chicago and Detroit right now and then we're going to be doing I think like New York and then uh, Europe in June and then I'm going to the West Coast and we're doing the San Diego Comic Con there's all these dates we're doing Australia I think as well and whatever there's all these dates and we're going to be basically touring on and off all year this year mm -hmm. uh, and uh if anybody wants to know what the tour dates are, I'm going to be regularly updating and posting them on my Dame Darcy uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. Dame Darcy, it, there's a fan Facebook, which is really the like place to that I care about. Like I don't care about my regular Facebook because they don't really care about me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the Dame Darcy fan page is the place to go. But wait, how long have you been making comics for? I started when I was a child, mm -hmm. like I started drawing little sequential art, little kid, like little books, uh, when I was about two, mm -hmm. two or three. Um, and, and you could tell what, you could tell what they were, like what the, what they were of. And also I only knew a couple of words. I could only write a few words. So my plot lines were based around the words that I knew how to write, which basically like my name and maybe like mommy and daddy and help and love or something like that. So um, I drew like Valentine Town where ev the all the all the cars had Valentine wheels and all the cities were made out of Valentines and all the people were Valentines and this big monster um, came and uh, was were eating all of the valentine people like they were chocolates out of a chocolate box and they were all the people were screaming hell <laughs> cool and then <laughs> and then um i was drawing a, co a comic book series in high school called tumor humor mm -hmm. <laughs> um for my high school which was very um it was very controversial because it was about if the uh, nuclear power plant that everybody's Mormon parents worked at blew up, and now everybody is like after a post-apocalyptic zombie in this town, but they still do normal things. So 
It was really controversial. I love my teacher. Her name is Mary Noble. And she was very, um, she was very supportive of my weird ass behavior. Mm-hmm. And she, she's really great. I love, I love her still. And, um, she's probably one of the things that let, showed me I could be who I am and still like make it in the world somehow because she let me do all these controversial comics and like, one of them, the kid comes to pick up the, the girl on a teenage date, mm-hmm. and he can't find her. He's driving a car that's only the axle because the whole car melted, and he's basically a glowing skeleton inside of, like, um, a little, like, 50s, you know, you know clothes with his little uh, saddle shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and picks her up and she's like, how did you find me? Because like all the burning buildings are made out of like burning bricks, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's like, I saw your skeleton glowing in the dark. Right. So then he takes her to make out point, And when they're making out, her tooth comes out in his mouth. Oh God. <laughs> he spits, he spits it out. And then they're making out and they're getting really hot and heavy. So his like um, boil, like bursts, pops and bursts all over her. And then she, <laughs> And then she's like, that's too much. Take me home. <laughs> and that's she what... let me run that in the school <laughs> paper. And then how did, did kids, so wait, you grew up with a lot of Mormon kids? Yeah, they're very conservative. I'm, I'm like a super liberal raised by uh, a flower child from L.A. and like cowboy poets on a ranch in Idaho um, in the mountains. Uh, that's like an ancestral ranch with like a bunch of like weirdo artists, cowboy poets and Native Americans and all this stuff on this ranch. But then everybody else around me was like the reddest corner of the reddest state. So what did they think when they read your comics in the school paper? Oh, they, well, people either really liked me and they were like, oh, right on. You're really, really crazy. And this is really crazy. Uh Or... They hated me, and they, like, would give me death threats and shit, but they were giving me death death threats anyway. Yeah. Because I was goth, and I hung out with all the gays and all that. So they were already giving me death threats. So I was, I acted like I was in prison. Like, I just terrorized everyone all the time. I played pranks on them constantly, and I terrorized them so badly that by the time I graduated high school, they were horrified of me, and then on top of it, they hated me anyway. So... The things I did are going to be in my autobiography called Hijacks and Hijinks that I'm, Thank that's God. coming out next. Yeah, it's coming out next year on um, Feral House. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to put, I'm going to put that in there. But basically I like, I would just tart if like a jock, the, one of the jocks like threatened to rape me after school. Uh-huh. So me and my little witch friends, my rich, my little witch friend and I, well, I had a couple of different friends like one was jared gold and he's um now a really well-known fashion designer in la um and he's really awesome uh and i suggest anyone look him up and get his fashions because they're amazing Mm -hmm. but um but i had another little friend like a couple little witch friends and uh she she could kind of vomit on command so because she was i unfortunately bulimic but the, the upside was that she could vomit through the the vent in the jock locker. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> so I held her. She's little, so and I'm tall, big. So I t- I held her up. I and she like vomited through the locker slats, and then we carved an upside down pentagram on the locker. So he was targeted as a Satanist while at the same time feeling threatened by Satanists. So it works double both ways. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. What? Did you, did you feel like <laughs> since you grew up then like you had to like create your own world? Like I just read this Anais Nin quote that's like, if I didn't create my, my own world, I surely would have died in everyone else's. Yeah. And I kind of see. Alan Moore says that too. Like he had to work in a slaughterhouse and he had, he came from a pretty rough place. Mm-hmm. So I think in, our, in this lifetime, we're born into these pretty extremely weird places that aren't like us mm-hmm. so that we can be have to be forced to create that world and then we do and then we're schizophrenic just kidding <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but 
But do you, does it feel like a good, safe space? Because it seems like you've always created your own world. I mean, like right now you're living in Savannah, Georgia, and it seems like you're surrounded by sailors and witches and ghosts <laughs> and like beautiful yeah. dolls and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like my comic books. I just live in my comic book. <laughs> you live in your comic book. Is that a nice place to live? Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. I love it. It's my habitat. I just ignore the rednecks, you know. Yeah, you kind, doesn't of, matter. You kind of, it just doesn't matter what they think of you. But then I have a question for you. So you've had your own world, which I really like your, I've always gravitated towards that. I was like, oh my God, look at her world. Like, look at Strega Pez. This is incredible. Uh, Like, look at, like, everything that's happening in your world. Um, Well, you look like someone from my world. You know that, thank you. And secondly, the way that you draw shine spots on people's eyelids and lips and hair inspires me so much. Huh? Yeah, thanks for noticing. Oh my God. I know, like, in like ribbons. Uh-huh. And everything, I was like, oh my God. So like, even like right now, I kind of, the, the sun is coming through the window and there's like yeah, a little like shine it. spot on my hair. Yeah, and if I, I see that. If I do a really good job on my eye makeup, I'm like, oh my God, I kind of feel like I look like a Dame Darcy comic right now. Yeah. The, the black hair with the white shine only works with like girls with black hair, you know? Yeah. Well, but, I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What? I was drawing a comic and I was drawing an ex-girlfriend from when I was in my 20s and I was drawing the way she actually looked even though I would like to make her more anonymous but I couldn't because she had like a beautiful black bowl cut and so she had like a shine spot that just went like right across her head perfectly yeah and I just couldn't I just can't it's so satisfying to draw that yeah and she's had like giant like just giant square glasses and this black bowl cut and I was like I just that's cute I have to draw this person I'm no one, you know, no one remembers that she looked like that except for me. Yeah. I took a lot of time when I was a little kid. I was really obsessed with black on black and how you can differentiate. If you have a black cat sitting on a black couch, how do you show the difference between the cat and the couch? And I was really obsessed with black on black as like a 10-year-old. And I'd sit there like drawing black on black stuff all the time and the one the only main way that you can do it is by pulling out the shine spots oh and that's how i learned that i just was obsessed and did endless endless experiments of drawings of like a lady with long black hair and a black dress sitting on a black couch holding a black cat with like black curtains by her and it wasn't even that i was goth it was that i was experimenting drawing black and white with black on black yeah. And then did you leave like a halo around them or you just used the shine spots I, to show where they were? Well, there's that. But then I also uh, leave a little fine white line around the edge of stuff. But mm-hmm. it depends. And I use that as a shine spot too. Like wherever the direction of the light's coming from, the top of the cat's head's going to be just that tiny white line. Mm-hmm. But maybe not the feet because... The feet are under here, so you, they don't, they're not getting hit by the light that way. Yeah. So then the top of the feet would, though. That's so cool. So you have to, like, think about it. You know, it was like a puzzle for me. And yeah. I had a lot of time sitting in that stupid public school uh, being really bored, drawing black on black. You're like, <laughs> my- black on black on black, and then the lights are off, and then they're in a tunnel, and then... I just got obsessed with that. Oh. And it's before I was goth, so maybe I was preparing... You were getting, were you blonde when you were goth? I've always been blonde, yeah, my whole life. When did people start reading your comics outside of school? Because you, I think when you talked at CCS, you said that you had been internet famous or famous since you were a teenager. Yeah. How did that happen? What happened was I went, okay, so I graduated from high school when I was 17. Mm Mm-hmm. I got a scholarship to the San Francisco Art Institute. Now I'm going to this like fancy school, mm-hmm. but I knew my scholarship was going to run out and I had a boyfriend that was 10 years older than me. So he started showing me how I could self-publish because he, we were preparing for when my scholarship ran out and I was going to have to make a living doing what I do. Mm-hmm. But because he was 10 years older than me, he knew how to book tours self-promote, self-publish, and do all this stuff. And we had connections with, like, Revolver Records and some of the places I currently still sell my books through. Mm-hmm. So um, he got me started on that in the early 90s. And by the time that my scholarship ran out, I was already making enough 
money self-publishing and and selling my comic books and going on the tour and doing the albums that it didn't make a lot of money but it that and on top of it working for last gas part-time as like a packer and shipper mm-hmm. the combination of those two things made it so that I could um make a living um uh doing what I did as a kid but it wasn't a lot of money but it was something you know mm-hmm. so um and working for last gasp in san francisco which is an alternative publishing company i know you know about it yeah 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 um taught me uh how to ship do, run a shipping business how to ship out orders of my comic books online myself mm-hmm. which i also started doing in the 90s mm-hmm. and i still do to this day and laura who you met earlier she's kind of taken over my business and she's basically running the mail order business while I go on tour. That's so cool. She's a sequential artist and she's uh, selling stuff on her Etsy store. Her name is Laura Douglas and her thing is called LED. Cool. And she's really awesome. She's like very pro and really can do this well. She's got a great style. It's really like unique. Um, She does like space theme stuff and she just turned 21, so she's, you know, up and coming. Mm-hmm. And I, she, I just think she's got a lot of promise because she knows how to do this, all this. You know what I mean? That's so. so important. Uh-huh. Um, did you feel, do you feel uh, like part of the comics community at large? Like, I know we were kind of talking on Facebook about sexism in the comics industry. Not at large, mm-hmm. but alternative I feel like I'm part of the alternative comics community. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm part of the Lolita community. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... Uh, but I feel like I'm kind of a buffet and you just... And you're a vegetarian and you just pick the mermaid. What? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, yeah, pescatarian. I feel like, I feel like people who understand me already, you know what I feel like? I feel like Ozma. Like there's, I'm in the wizard, in the, in, in the book series from 1912, the Oz book series. Mm -hmm. Ozma was this girl who is sort of up in the world, up in the sky in this re- weird random virtual place called Oz. And she was a girl that was sort of the ruler of this very wacky empire. Mm-hmm. And the people in the empire all understood what they were. And there was like a clockwork guy and some weird dancing, like pumpkin dude and a patchwork girl and like Dorothy and all these wackos that were really different and unique to themselves. But they were all part of Oz and they all got what Oz was and they were all residents of Oz and they were all wackos of their own kind. And I mm-hmm. feel like the empire that I've run my whole life is kind of like Oz where everybody in it are like, are like weirdos and goth girls and gay and transsexual and like, um, fantasy creatures of some weird ass kind. And they're all, a lot of them are really creative and they are from fairyland, and none of them are really from normal world. And that we all get each other and we get what this place is, but not everybody in any other place really gets us. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. I feel like I've been thinking about the idea that like your otherness is your strength. Like people yeah. in general, like the thing that it's sometimes you're like, oh, like I don't fit in with other comics, but that means that you have this super special, your yeah. super special orb I, that you live in. But I'm like, me and you are alike. But different because you do your own thing. Yeah. But I get what you're doing a lot. Thank you. And I like it a lot. And also, like, um, the Lolitas get it, but they're more into fashion, not comics, but they still get it. It's like the comic book for the Lolitas. Which is, which there really isn't one. It's not just manga either because there's manga for Lolitas, but this isn't manga. It's like different. Yeah. And, it was before all that anyway. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, Meat Cake, 
the meat cake book that's about to come out the bible with 400 pages Mm -hmm. it's coming it's it's being premiered this year and i'm going to be at the san diego comic-con july 22nd and 23rd Mm -hmm. and you can pre-order it now but the two things that i put in this book that are new for everybody today is a dedication and the dedication that i wrote i've dedicated to my all of you people all of my fans all of the people who really understand it and that we're i feel like we're all together in this and that they've just they've been as much of a support system and a a, a means of understanding for me as maybe i've been for them and i really f- feel thankful that people have cared long enough to have given back this long yeah and that I really want to give back to them as well. And I want to keep giving back to them. The other thing that I put in there was a brand new new 15-page comic um, that I wrote just for this compilation. Mm-hmm. Sort of to show people that I can, I just still do this. You know what I mean? Of course. And that it's its own, it has its own language, its own politics, its own aesthetic. And that it's its own thing. And... I'm also going to start pitching it as a TV series again. Like I've been off and on doing that for years now, but yeah. hopefully things are renegade enough now that it might be time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> so I really wanted to get produced. I'm so tired of this. What is the big, I wanted to ask you, what is the bigger message of your work? Cause I feel like you have political thoughts that are kind of, you kind of infuse everything with, or you kind of have like a, I don't know. Like your pagan spirituality or some kind of, I feel like you have bigger messages Well, that you transmit. I, I truly, when in, in the end, I'm a utopian. Mm-hmm. So I've always been searching for utopia and trying to create it any way that I can mm-hmm. as well. And uh, in utopia, it transcends gender and race. And it's just about, like, the soul and the spirit, not just of us, but of a philosophy and of a place. And that's what I'm trying to find because I'm from Atlantis, and that's the way it was in Atlantis, and I remember that. Mm -hmm. That's also what I'm trying to create out of whatever there is around me. Atlantis, like, uh, in a past life? Yeah, I remember being a mermaid very clearly. I think of you as a mermaid now. Yeah, I am a mermaid. I just have to live in a landlubber world, so I'm always trying to, like, go around the rules. Like, I think of my, my race as a mermaid, mm-hmm. which be any... You can look like anything when your race is a mermaid. You could even be blue. Race doesn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. And then my job is to be a pirate. Mm-hmm. And whatever I do, I'm always a pirate. Even though I don't necessarily want to be, I just... The rules don't really help me so I always have to go around the rules in order to like just do what I want or need to even do you ever have friction with like the straight world always when you I avoid it like the plague I just go I just just like in high school I try to figure out what the rules are just so I can go around them like when you're like they don't like renting places or opening bank accounts or doing totally boring like horrible things well I kind of do those horrible boring things but like I have my pen name and I do things differently yeah. than normal people <laughs> like at all times and not even just because I'm trying to, but because it's just the only way it works for me. Yeah. Cool. So then there's that. And then my uh, religion is witch. Cool. So when I say I'm a mermaid and a pirate and a witch, that's what I mean. It's like my race, my job and my religion. somebody called me with an advice question for you because I asked and she said she's been practicing witchcraft for her whole life and it's something that's been private to her ever since she was young but Mm -hmm. now she sees it as kind of a trend like a lot of people are getting into like being witches and she was I think it's a good trend you do because the goddess is coming back what do you mean well, this, you know, this whole shift in, in uh, acceptance in mainstream media, mm-hmm. 
It's because the goddess is coming back. Because, like, the mainstream media dictates to society what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. So now, like, trans and, like, gay marriage and all this stuff is acceptable. And witchcraft is one of the most, is the most growing religion in America today, says NPR. Mm -hmm. And it's because the goddess is coming back. Oh. Everything shifted and now it's the age of Aquarius and the patriarchy's dying and what it's done to the planet isn't acceptable anymore. So the goddess is coming back and the children of the goddess are going to be the rulers now, which means women and anybody who are empathizers and not empathizers with the patriarchy. Because the patriarchy doesn't help guys either. No, it doesn't help anybody. I love everybody. I'm not against men and I'm not... I'm a hardcore feminist, but I'm not a man hater. Mm -hmm. I'm a patriarchy um, oppositioner. I'm I'm an opposition of the patriarchy, is what I'm going to say. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm, It doesn't help any of us. No. Even guys. No. I don't, no, I don't, I don't think so either. Um, What else? I want to ask you, well, I wanted to ask you how being famous since you were a teenager affected your life. But did it, I guess it seems like it just allowed you to create your own world and keep things around you. But did, yeah. it ever, did it ever make it weird between you and other people? Well, the good thing about being famous since I was a teenager, right, is that I could live anywhere and make a living. Mm-hmm. And if anybody tries, because of how I look, mm-hmm. I get a lot... Okay, it's interesting. I have this conversation all the time with my boyfriend, right? So my boyfriend's a black guy, and I'm a white female. and we, But we have the same problem. And the problem we both have is that people have preconceptions about what we are mm-hmm. and who we are mm-hmm. and how society sees what we are mm-hmm. and then projects them onto us and then reacts to what they've projected on us instead of just listening to what we are or listening to us yeah. or looking at us for what we are. Yeah. Like what MLK said, yeah. judging us on the content of our character, not on what we look like. Right. Mm-hmm. So I get a certain amount of white privilege and I get a certain amount of bullshit looking like a blonde female. Mm-hmm. Right. And he gets a certain amount of privilege and bullshit cred, but then bullshit being a black guy. Yeah. And, um, in that we're equals, but, um, when I move somewhere and I know who I am and I know who my friends are and I know that I've got my fan base that understands who I am and I make a living from my own books and stuff like that. So I have my own like autonomy and liberty into of myself that I built myself from scratch, from nothing, from when I was a kid. And I move somewhere and I meet like any kind of like douche jock or like stupid scumbag Republican or some crap that's trying to like create conflicts or react towards me a certain way or patronize me or, um, come on to me or any of the things that they do. I can just say what I want to and I'm really sassy and I constant and I love when people do that to me because I love being like snap bitch and putting them back in their place mm-hmm. because I have the strength knowing I've got that I'm Ozma and that I've got Oz behind me and they don't know that and they're ignorant. And yeah. I can do what I want, bitch. Yeah. Anywhere I want. So you- and they don't know that. Yeah. So then even if they act like assholes, then you're like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, hey, bring it on. And I'll just, you know, blow your brain up with a giant witch bomb. (laughs) I wish I could be an observer. And then they walk away. And then they walk away. And you can see this in action when I went to L.A. and played pranks on all those guys on the dating shows. Oh, my God. That's an example. So you were on Blind Date, and I believe that you showed up in a mermaid tail to the hot tub. The yeah. hot tub of Blind Date. So there's a part of the dating show where, uh-huh. where the like sexy guy that all the girls are trying to get 
like has the everybody get in a sexy bikini in the hot tub and Dame Darcy shows up with a fucking mermaid tail. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm a mermaid. And then I wouldn't speak to him. I only talked in mermaids and then splashed him with the water. I wouldn't even talk. I just love that so much. <laughs> did you go on a different dating show too? I went on like 10. You did? I went on so many and I almost got into like the four that I have up are the ones that my stalker sent me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Cause he, yeah, no one cares like your stalker. I was like, I did a shout out. I was like, Hey everybody. Um, I was like, Hey everybody. I, um, I need, I need these videos. You know, did anybody record them when, while they were on TV? Yeah. My stalker is all like, I did Dame Darcy. I've got them all. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks. You're like, perfect. So where yeah, are, are they on your website now? Yeah, they're on Dame Darcy channel. <laughs> I've looked for them. Not before. all of them, though, because I didn't get the ones with Flavor Flav. What? There was this whole thing with Flavor Flav in 2005. What'd oh you God. do? So it was like a series of. Um, it was like a series of um, what auditions? Uh huh. Where like all these big booty black girls that were really crazy and ghetto were like getting their photos taken, going through drive throughs and in front of the garbage can and like acting like maniacs and like being all like, Flav, pick me. I want to be, you know, I want to be your girlfriend. Put me in the mansion. Right. Yeah. And then, um, I'm, I'm sitting there with like Isabel and my banjo and all this stuff. And he's like, and I'm this like I'm dressed like Mary Poppins or some craziness. And Isabel's her doll, by the way, like a giant, beautiful Victorian-looking doll. Yeah, she's really something. Anyway, so when we auditioned, um, Flav in New York saw us. We made it through everyone else just for our sheer freak mm -hmm. thing. You know, we just were like we kept making it because TV. I'm good for TV. I'm good TV. Yeah. No matter whether Flav wanted me or not, yeah. I'm just a freaking I'm good TV. So I knew that. And then, and I knew that we get to some level, right? But then my publishing company, Fanographics, got behind it. So that when it was all about, um, when it was all about the voting. Yeah. Where everybody, um, everybody was, was supposed to be voting more and more and more. Yeah. Uh, or for the different candidates um i was now beating like hundreds of women and and it got down to maybe the top 15 or 20 and and what they didn't understand the what the producers of the show didn't understand was that i was an underground famous cartoonist they just yeah. thought i was a weirdo and they didn't understand why all of a sudden bless you why all of a sudden um like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were voting for me on the show when when Flav's all like that she's just Mary Poppins looking ass you know yeah. and Flav and, and like New York was like I feel sorry for her you know <laughs> that's a good New York this... impression by the way that's what she sounds like yeah she's like I feel sorry for her ass because Isabel was like pick me yay yeah. and then like I, they were like so why do you think why do you think that you and Flav would should be together and I was like because we could jam out together I play the banjo I'm a musician and we could make up we could rap together but with like the banjo yeah and they were just like what <laughs> and then and then um I almost made it into the house and um because Fanographics did this whole thing where it's like vote for Dame Darcy get her on the mansion get her on the mansion yeah so it was coming down to like a top 10 and is looking like I was going to get like $6,000 and be in the mansion. And I was trying to think of my like prison strategy to, you know, not get my weaves ripped out or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, um, so we made it really far and I made it about like past three of the auditions and I didn't, but I didn't make it at the last minute into the mansion, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> But I gave it a good try. That would have been great TV. I yeah. would have been so happy to watch I just love playing that. pranks on society. And I love taking what society assumes and then, like, twisting it back on them, using it against the, their self. Okay. And what is your advice for young cartoonists or women in cartooning? Um... 
Okay. This is what to do. Okay. Okay. Don't stop. Any way that you can do it, make it happen. If that takes, now there's great, a lot of great ways to do it. Great ways that I didn't have accessible to me. Mm -hmm. Um, start a web comic. Um, do craft fairs, do, uh, comic cons in your area. Um, start building community online, start building community in real life and, um, find like-minded people to do other things with you and like book. Um, I, I, this is a tried and true thing. That's why I'm doing it again. Book tours do shows, or if you're not a musician or performer, link yourself to someone who is and sell your comics there. Mm -hmm. Always think of a way that you can be like a freak show or a rock show or showcase something like a show to bring people to come to see your books and think of different ways that you can make books. Maybe make them into animations, animatics. Um, now you can make them into little just little moving things that can like go anywhere, you know, do whatever you can and do it all and experiment and see which one works better. You know, the tarot cards are really, really selling well right now. My mermaid tarot deck. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was going to work as well as it, as it did. It's just something we tried and it worked. Sagittarian Matters with Nicole George. Can I ask you about the hair auction? Like what? Oh yeah. Did you take it? You took it down? Um. Yes, the hair auction. Um. It's okay if you don't it, want to talk about it. I just no, no, curious. it's okay. okay. It was um, the hair was pulled at the last moment because Courtney's or Francis's estate stole it from me and we had to settle out of court and I ended up getting a settlement. Can we explain what the hair auction was? Sorry. The hair auction was that um, in the 90s, Courtney Love hired me to um, make a, a doll for Francis out of Kurt Cobain's hair. Mm -hmm. And then I did, I had, I'm sorry if the sound of like the taping is a problem, but we're just packing orders right now. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. That's why Jackie came in. Yeah. Um, so, um, the, uh, the hair, uh, was in my jewelry box for over 20 years. Like extra then, hair. Yeah. Leftover hair. Cause like people commissioned me to do all kinds of dolls all the time. It's totally normal yeah. for me to have some leftover hair from their grandma or whatever. And I just, I don't usually think about it. I just keep it. And then, um, you know, I have like tons of fabric and hair and all kinds of stuff. I make dolls out of it. So, um, I had some of the leftover hair and then it didn't occur to me. It did occur to me later that it was worth money or whatever. And I hang on, hung on to it, put it in my jewelry box and forgot all about it. And then Lisa Carver's like, let's go on tour. And, uh, and cause I have me cake Bible coming out. Yeah. So I was like, okay, how am I gonna, I have to move into this house and I have to come up with all this money for the tour. And what the heck am I going to do? Cause I got to come up with suddenly thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, just as much money as I can possibly get all at once. And, uh, so, you know, I sell my paintings every once in a while, but I, but I don't sell them for like $50,000 or whatever. Yeah. So was, what could I do that I could get this much money for? And it turned out and I found, and I was praying to the goddess and I pictured myself as a mermaid opening a jewelry, a treasure box with gold inside. And later on, I found in my hidden compartment of my jewelry box, Kurt Cobain hair, which is the color of gold. So I think that was like the goddess leading me to that. Yeah. And then um, we had to go through this whole elaborate legal process, getting it all started. And me and my business manager and contacting the auction house, which we decided was the best way to do it. Because that's like a tsunami barrier between me and the shit storm. Yeah. <laughs> 
They ended up illegally stealing the hair. What do you mean? They're not supposed to do that. Like you gave it to us? Auction houses are not supposed to steal the item. No. And they did. Like you gave them the swatch of hair and then they... And they stole it. How did they steal it? They put it in escrow and wouldn't give it back to me and wouldn't give me the money after the hair was pulled. So we had to sue them. Yeah. And we also sued. We just countersued and ended up with a settlement. So did so I didn't get fifty thousand dollars, which the like hair was going for. That that got transferred over to the sweater, and the sweater sold for one hundred fifty thousand dollars with a family friend, who I think is the Courtney estate. What? So wait, did France? So Francis Bean's estate sued the auction house for selling her dad's hair, and then they had it in escrow. So then they pulled it. Yes, and they were legally holding it. And then me and my team of lawyers that I had assembled before this whole thing started, because I'm, because I knew something would happen. I'm not, yeah, stupid. Yeah, came back at them, and then we settled out of court. Oh my god! It's exactly three. And I don't know what this crappy music is that's playing in there now, or how it switched to that, but it's really not okay. Oh my god. Well, I'm sorry that happened. It doesn't matter because I'm just, the only reason I'm sorry is that I'm sorry that Courtney, Courtney and I were really good friends, but I hadn't talked to her for a decade. I tried to contact her and Francis before the whole thing happened, and they didn't contact me because they were so cool and famous that they didn't have time to talk to me. So this, so I just did it renegade and didn't tell them. But yeah. I tried to talk to them beforehand. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like, I know that you were close with them and that they probably really appreciated you at some point, like you did. Yeah, and I really love them and I appreciate them. And I wish that they could just understand what it's like to be like a working class artist that needs money to go on tour. I didn't spend it on Coke and shoes. Yeah. I'm spending it to help my life. Yeah, totally. I have to go on tour when I have like my these books. When your whole lifetime epic book that you've worked on for 25 years is coming out you have to go on tour and you have to promote that yeah so did you have so did it work out that you have enough money to do the tour the way you want to do the tour yeah enough money to tour now i have enough money to move i have enough money to take care of my life i have enough money to ship out my items and keep my business going that's all i needed yeah i just put it right back into my life i didn't you know that's all. Of course, of course. And I, I also did a ritual to Kurt, and I, you know, thanked him for helping me. I gave a percentage of it to a suicide prevention fund, and after it was all done, I was like, "Thank you for helping me." And personally, I think Kurt, as a working class touring artist and musician, wouldn't have cared. And I personally know that I know that when I die, my work's going to be worth you know, more than what it is while I'm alive. That's just the deal with artists. It's unfortunate because we need the money while we're alive, but it's the truth. And that if somebody could sell my, anything of mine or sell my hair to help them while they were alive, help with their art and get them out of, you know, get them to a better place in life, I wouldn't care. Personally, I wouldn't care. No, of course. And especially like if it was a family friend, that had done favors for me many, many years yeah. in the past, who was still working as an artist. Like, you're not an evil person. You're not Donald no. Trump taking the hair. You're like no Dame Darcy, the cartoonist and artist and mermaid, witch, pirate, goddess, yeah. and Thanks. trying to do a and project. I, There's no- I still love Courtney and Francis, and I'm sorry they were me- had to be so mean about it. They've got plenty of money. Why do they care? No, it's like no reason for them to care. Yeah. Really? They don't need it. No. You're you're a good witch. Why? Yeah, and I didn't mean any harm, and I I really didn't. No. I just didn't know what had happened, because I was excited for you, because I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, how weird. Like she like weird. well because I read I saw your your statement of the certificate of authenticity you made that was like a comic a beautiful comic about you praying to yeah. the goddess and having a dream that you were a mermaid and open this box full of gold and yeah I was like oh that's so cool and then I saw later that it was taken down and I was like oh I wonder if like Courtney Love gave her a hard time and well and I still love down. Courtney and yeah. I don't have a problem with any of this and also too um uh like I care about. 
care about their family and I care about Francis and I and Francis accused me of doing it for all the publicity because it spun out and went batshit all over the place. But I didn't um I didn't um mean it to do that. Again, that was the auction house. The auction house was were kind of creepy. Yeah. Cause they they put me into the middle of this crazy shitstorm spin publicity spin that I didn't sign up for. And I thought I was just selling my hair the way somebody else was selling, um, like Michael Jackson's, whatever, all this stuff yeah. was there. Yeah. And none of those people got like screamed at and got like written up and called like a voodoo weirdo and a freak by like Rolling Stone. And like it got on ABC news and went everywhere. And I wasn't doing that to get promotion for myself it wasn't a publicity spin i thought i was just gonna be just like everybody else and there was like tons and tons of people involved in this auction and i didn't do it the way francis thought like that i was just trying to like fame grab off her dad it wasn't about that at all in fact i was trying to just do it very on the down low not cause a stir use the money for my tour to help my life yeah that's all. That's a shame. That... Because I have to. Why? You because you're a working if a, artist. If a tree falls in the woods, was that a little kitty? This is my dog. Who's that? That's Ponyo. Oh, That's my my producer of the podcast, but she's trying to bark at something outside. So that was cute. I thought she was like hiccuping. No. <laughs> I thought she had the hiccups. Um, yeah, so if if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like if so you, if you have said, to make it matter. And also, like no one was going after the auction house for taking their publicity team and promoting that they were I selling know. a swatch of a for dead like, person's hair. They used me to spin it out, take all that publicity, steal my hair, and then then take the money and and all the whatever that was caused by it and push it onto the sweater said whoever was selling that sweater and i think it was courtney um got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his sweater yeah a two dollar sweater he bought in some dumpy store in portland it just seems like a modern witch hunt like it just is actually a modern witch hunt where they're like it kind of was like like the idea that like people think like women aren't trustworthy you know and then like witches like what and it's it just seems like well, an actual witch like, hunt that happens weird creepy dolls voodoo blah 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 and you know what i do i am a witch okay and that's i don't i'm not ashamed of that no but in the victorian era people made lockets dolls art all kinds of stuff out of the hair of loved ones because that's all they had left of these people and I don't think that a photo or a doll, and the doll was not a creepy voodoo doll, okay? The doll was a really pretty, cute little doll that looked like a pretty little girl that I made for Frances so of, like, what I thought she was going to look like when she grew up out of his hair. I didn't mean anything... It was a cute doll, and I don't mean any harm with any of this stuff. No. <sighs> I wish that I, there's, like, literally no way I just want to be, like, your body, like, part of your pack. I want to be, like, your, like, body girl to be, like, step off. I know. It was really annoying. Like, let her, let the woman do her work and, like, give me a break. You guys can't, like, just look the other way so that this artist can take a piece of property that belongs to her and. Oh, and by the way, why am I having to resort to this? Because I used to get paid ten to $25,000 book advances. I have five books this year coming out, okay? Five different graphic novels. One of them is, well, actually, deadlines and stuff. I've got yeah. Lady, Lady Killers on HarperCollins coming out next year. My autobiography coming out next year with Feral House. Me Cake Bible. On Fanographics, um, Jay Walker illustrated for Lisa Carver on her own self-publishing thing. A book with Canon, um, what's it called? Um, 
graphic canon. I illustrated the uh, Poe, a cool. Poe story. Um, and then a compilation comic for Mirror Mirror, which is a like compilation stuff. And then who else knows what's going to come my way, right? And meanwhile, a combination of all these books, all these books, I didn't get enough money to promote my tour. And I used to get ten to $35,000 book advances every time I got a book deal. Mm-hmm. And I could use that to draw the book and promote the book. Yeah. And then the book publishing company itself would help pay me to tour and promote the book as well. But because of the publishing industry today, I had to resort to this craziness with the hair to even do what I usually do anyway, because I didn't get the book advances that I needed to do it. To just try to work to sell more books, which is like a very noble cause. And I got the book deals, but I had to do the thing that comes after that, which is promote the books. Yeah. But I didn't have enough money. Because of just what happens with the book advances nowadays. And it's just shifted. I have always been a big self-promoter. I mean, you know, not like just like I know that you have to promote yourself. And coming from like the punk subculture and coming from small press, I think that people don't totally understand that every time they see me on tour, that's mostly my own doing of me trying to promote my own stuff. And nobody's going to care as much as you do just nobody is no and you can't sit at home and wait for people to just buy your book you have to go out there and talk to them and be a character or let them see a little bit more and and by the way there's a reason why i've been famous since i was 17 i've been doing this since i was 17 do you feel tired and by the way, i'm okay. exhausted and meanwhile like my contemporaries here's another thing all my male contemporaries are making more money than me they're all like Brody. They're all like Brodio. You know, they're on the Brodio together, broing out, getting each other like TV shows and all kinds of deals and all kinds of like stuff. And I'm not saying they don't help me, but they don't really help me. That's why I'm still struggling all my all on my own. This lone girl in the male industry. There's a reason why male contemporaries of mine in a male-dominated industry. I'm not. I'm doing as good as they are as far as getting as many book deals and being as like prolific, but I'm not getting paid. And you know what? I can't believe it. Like when I was a kid, Wonder Woman told me I could do whatever a man could do. Wonder Woman told me (laughs) that I could get paid like a man and I could do anything I wanted. But guess what? Here's why feminism can't stop. Here's why there's no such thing as post-feminism. Here's why we got to keep fighting. Because as as long as women get paid 77 cents to every dollar a man makes, as long as there isn't like prenatal, like, or whatever it's called, like after a baby's born. Oh, yeah. Anybody getting like pre, like paid, like I'm not part of that world, of course, because I'm not a corporate thing. Yeah. And I don't have kids, partly because I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And for environmental reasons. But regardless of any of that. Yeah. Um, um, you know, as long as these are still issues, women should keep fighting the good fight and sticking together and taking care of this, these issues. And if I just like roll over and don't promote the books and stop trying, who's going to keep doing it then? I have to. Yeah. Because that means there's girls after me that don't have to try as hard. Because I worked for them on their behalf. I kept the door open so they can keep coming through. They'll shut that door if we don't keep trying. They'll do it every time. Why is even Roe versus Wade or any of these abortions issues an issue even now still? Because they're keep, they'll keep on trying. But their fight isn't the good fight. It's wrong. The goddess is coming back. And they can't stop that. I love that. I felt sad the other week. I kind of had to circumnavigate comics to get any recognition in comics. Mm-hmm. Because the men in comics, you know, I have men that support me that I love, but in general, like mainstream comics writing done by men and gate- yep. gatekeepers didn't totally get my work. And so right. I had to find support and love in a feminist like zine scene and then like queer literary scene. 
Right. And then from there, get a deal with a book publisher that's not a comics publisher. And right. have my book come out. And then comics people kind of are like... Finally. Oh. They're like, okay, you exist. And I'm like, well, I have like been publishing comics just for like 15 or 20 years. No big deal. That's great. You know, like I just the other day found like a review of my work that was like, uh, her use of color doesn't make any sense. Or like, oh, Nicole's work is always too twee. And it just doesn't give any respect to the content. Like the comics will be about shoplifting or grief and death. And they'll be like, so twee. Well, there's, there's no such publicity. Uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity, said Oscar Wilde. Yeah. And that's always, just remember that when you see a bad review, that they cared at all, right? Yeah. I rarely read reviews, by the way. So when I read these, they're like years out of date. And then I get mad about something that happened years ago. <laughs> I, I don't I can't read reviews because you know either way I don't want them to go here's to my the head. Good, here's the good thing. What? Here's the good thing. I've always been trying to break into television because I want a lot of money and I want a lot of power. Yeah. And I've always wanted a lot of money and power. And feature films, there's only two percent of women even doing that shit on the like production side of stuff. Yeah. Two percent, just like politics. Two percent of women. Okay. Meanwhile. I've always wanted to do TV because it's more accessible and it's not like trying to battle the big boys just to get in, right? Yeah. And the good thing about TV today is that you can get YouTube famous and then get produced. So you can do DIY it yourself that way, which is really great. But also there's that pink collar ghetto in publishing now. It's funny. It's really funny because in comics, it's all dudes. And it doesn't pay very well. And then there's the pink collar ghetto of like um, women in publishing because they're the only ones who even keep caring about publishing. So now they're all women. So there's that. And that's really interesting. As for someone who does graphic novels as a cartoonist and then as for graphic novels with women, mm -hmm. right? Or publishing companies. So it's very polarized. And then above them in the next hierarchy is the um all the people that produce stuff for television and then after that is the big boys who are all guys again mostly guys in feature film stuff right mm -hmm. and but in the middle of publishing and feature film are a lot of women and gays running the programming for um showtime and all these kind of alternate alternative uh uh tv programming Mm -hmm. And that's that's really good, and that's this that's the place I'm trying to get into, because it's not a pink color ghetto, and it doesn't make as much money as the big boys, so they don't care about it as much. But it's still a really great place to get your message out and actually get something that makes money and has a good big message to a wider audience, and it's a very empowering place for women and gays, and I really love that about today. And it's getting bigger and stronger. I feel like we're in a really good time. It feels very alive. Yeah. It's like, like the yeah. amount of women in power right now in Hollywood are talking about the sexism there. Yeah. And like the people's uh, uh, like wants or openness to hearing feminist or like other kind of women or gay stories feels really cool. Yes. Yeah, I love that too. I, the more uh, that I see the more happy I am about it. Even if they're not something I, like when, um, what was that one? Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under was a big breakthrough thing. It was produced by those people I'm talking about. And it the content addressed that stuff. And it was really, really great. And I was so happy to see that come out in like 2000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of the shift. And mm -hmm. I really liked it. And now that kind of stuff, it's very um, commonplace to show women and gays like they really are. I really love, um, I really love, uh, what's it called? Uh, Orange is the New Black on Netflix because, excuse me, even those women are in prison, so they're kind of victims. Mm -hmm. I love how they are treated as people and they talk and they have dialogue and the dialogue that they talk like and the way that they behave are the way real women behave and real people interact with each other and women are now seen as people not just i really hate it when people put a, a woman in a sexy costume with a gun and then say it's feminist because it's not that's not the way women's psychology thinks 
That's not feminine thinking. We don't care about that crap. No. As women, we don't. No. That's like just guys dutifying us. Fuck that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you wholeheartedly. (laughs) Like Tomb Raider is not actually... Like a woman kicking ass is not actually feminism. No. The reason I wrote Meat Cake the way that I wrote it because I was sick of seeing all the shows be about boys, all the shows with boy protagonists. There's always a bunch of guys, and then all of a sudden, some girl, one girl, hanging out with all the guys, acting like a dude, or the guys do their thing, and then all the time, all of a sudden, it's time to like make out or have sex. So now a girl shows up for that, and I was really annoyed by that. So I thought I'd create a world where girls act like girls and they act like themselves and boys don't even show up that much. And if they do, they're objectified and they're just hot sailors that the mermaid makes out with. and Nobody cares otherwise. And it's about the things the girls want to do and them hanging out. And they even make out with each other to show how much they don't even need guys. I love that. I, maybe that's why I was drawn to meat cake so much as a young person. Yeah, and then meanwhile, guys think it's really hot the whole time anyway. Because when your protagonists are hot-looking girls, girls relate to it themselves. And then meanwhile, guys think it's hot. So everybody wins. Everybody wins in meat cake worlds. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dame Darcy. I thought those sailors she was making out with were gay anyway. I love, they looked gay. They looked so dapper. I was really into them. And their shiny hair. Um, Thanks, well, thank you for taking time to talk to me. And thank you, Nicole. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. If you would like advice on a future podcast, call our hotline and leave a message, 971-361-9998. You can even disguise your voice if you'd like. In fact, we insist.